Good morning, everyone. And uh, this week, uh, a busload of folks are going to the Ark. And who's all going to the Ark? Who's all going? Yeah, they got some here. Yeah. Yes. So then they're going to go to the Creation Museum, and there's a cruise that they're going on, and a restaurant, and many, many, many things. So I'm very excited for them. Today is going to be a fun day. We're literally going to go through verse by verse, because this is probably the most controversial, confusing part of Revelation, but I'm going to make it really easy. And so uh, we're going to be able to walk through this thing together with a lot of excitement and joy and more verses of comfort, which is going to surprise you. By the way, how many of you have already figured out that the first 11 chapters, there's a lot of verses on comfort, wasn't there? And you thought that Revelation was confusing. Well, it's not. And so uh, I had a surprise. My son, John and Donna, from Florida, came up Friday to surprise us for uh, my 69th birthday, Sue knew. But what we didn't know is the next day I woke up to a mess in my front yard. No, it's not a mess, but happy birthday, Pastor Kid, number one grandfather. So Michael and Andrea had that set up. It's still in our front yard this morning. So I've got a daytime picture and a nighttime picture, and I'll put that on Facebook. And the two KK girls came to say hi to me, and that was really cute. There's two girls, you only have two kids. Well, actually, there were three kids. They also brought their little sister, too. So that was kind of, that was cute. So my brother called me up after I sent him a picture, after I showed him a before and after picture, losing my hair, and he said I looked like Uncle Fester from Adam's family. <laughs> And I says, but I don't have the dark eyes. <laughs> so that's my middle brother for you. And uh, the uh, keeping your prayers, my oldest brother, uh, he is just came out of rehab and went home. He has dropped foot now, both feet. And so he's got to hobble around at home. And he has, uh, my nephew and niece are, best, are mentally and physically handicapped. And they're in their 40s, so now his wife has to not only take care of those two, but my brother, and they're trying to figure out what they're going to do. And I said, you better find out soon, because someday the Lord's going to call you home. Who's going to take care? Because both of them are about a three-year-old mentality. And they're in their 40s. So, and that's what he did for a living. He's a, he is, in fact, he still is a consultant for special needs uh, adults in the state of California. And so he's still... Uh, has a real love and passion for them. So, let's begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we have a little understanding about the woman and the dragon. And we just pray, Lord, that you help us to understand uh, the meanings of numbers and the beast and so on. And we just pray, Lord, that we go slowly today as we piece by piece put together what is happening and what is about to happen. In Jesus' name, Amen. So, we refer to the outline, if you notice, the woman with the child and the dragon. That's the first explanation. Then it goes into chapter 13. And in there we find the beast of the sea and the beast of the land. The beast of the sea is who? 
The government, yes. And the beasts of the land are the false teachers and prophets and the false gods and goddesses. And then the conquering land victory song. So right smack in the middle of this section we have the uh, scriptures of comfort about the victor, Jesus Christ. And then it goes right into the destruction, defeat of the dragon and the beast. So already smack in the middle of Revelation, you already know who wins, Jesus. And then again, the very ending of chapter 14 is the Judgment Day Proclamation. So as we taught already the last several weeks, it's a repeat, a cycle. And uh, everything to do with the millennium has to do with from the birth of Christ until Christ's second return. That's the millennium. And so this is where we're going to take a good look. So as you look at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12 of Revelation, notice what it says, a great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven. It appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown with twelve stars on her head. There's a double messianic message here. The twelve is the New Testament church. It's a parallel to Mary, who is told by the angel that she's going to receive the Messiah, and they're called the name Jesus. And you're going to see the parallel message again in verse 2. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. So this birth is a reminder of where Jesus was born in a manger. And then something's going to happen very interestingly. So we have this little introduction. Who are they? It's a double messianic message. It's about Mary and Jesus, but it's also about giving birth to the new Christian church, which began with Jesus. He started the ministry, and then on Pentecost, the Christian church took off by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we have the Christmas story, along with the birth of the Christian church. But then, what I want you to notice is that as this woman's giving birth, you'll see a growing sign. This is the first sign in this series of Revelation. We've already gone through two series. We went through the signs, the seals, and we already talked about the trumpets. But what's going to happen here is, if you take a look at verse 3, we're going to see a new language. We already heard about Satan last week, but look what it says in verse 3. Then another sign appeared. Where? In heaven. In heaven. An enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, seven crowns on his head, and his tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. This is another description of the casting out of Satan, which we've talked about many times already. So when did this happen? Sometime during the time of creation, because Satan was already busy tempting Adam and Eve from the get-go. And so this tail sweeping 
a third of the stars, this is believed to be the evil angels that were cast out along with Satan. And of course we heard about uh, the Antichrist, and we're going to come up with that one very shortly when we talk about 666. That's the anti-trinity. It falls short of being holy. Six is not a holy number by any means. Uh, and please do not give any grief to my in-laws because their phone number ends with 666. So they said, should I change my phone number? I said, what the height? But anyway, you don't have to change your phone number. It's just a phone number. But I don't think I would call my, I don't think I would want six. How many of you don't like going on the 13th floor of a, of a building? Or you don't go to, you know, every time you see 666, it makes you a little uncomfortable. Well, it, it's just the number, but there's more importance of 666, which we'll get to shortly. And then notice, as we get into the verse, we talk about the second sign, uh, but it's not a great sign. It's just a sign. And uh, enormous red dragon. It didn't say a great dragon, did it? So he's not quite as powerful because you've got to remember Michael and his angels and Jesus cast them out at the very beginning. So Satan thought he was big, but already from the beginning, John makes it clear that he's not as great as he says he is. But if you notice, in the coming verses is that she gave birth to a son. A male child who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter, and her child was snatched up to God, to his throne. What on earth is that? This is the birth and ascension of Christ in one, one verse. And I'm thinking, wow, we got the Christmas story, we got the life of Christ, all in this little bitty phrase. And so, but it doesn't stop there. Now, when they're snatched up, that's the ascension. So what John did in just these one or two verses, he talks about the ministry of Christ, his passion, his death and resurrection, all into one sweep. But then if you were to read verses uh, 7 to 12, who would like to read verses 7 to 12 of chapter 12? Part of it already describes who the red 
interpret it. And uh, it's plain, very plainly, it's Satan. And so we have this war in heaven, which took place sometime during the time of creation, and uh, a third of the angels were removed along with Satan. And we see this casting out again. And then in verses 10 to 11, we have this beautiful picture of comfort. Comfort. Salvation. Jesus Christ is the conqueror. But yet, did you catch what it said there in verse 11? They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. And so, victory was given to the church because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And this is a victory song. Verses uh, 10 through 12 is a victory comfort song. And it's really kind of interesting. And then in verse 12, Satan attacks with fury. So he's not too happy with Jesus. He's not too happy with the Christian church because why? Why is Satan upset, upset with the church? Time is short. What's another reason why Satan is not very happy? What is constantly going on around the world? The gospel of Jesus Christ is being spoken. And he just hates that with a passion. But, as you look at verse 12, notice what is there. Therefore rejoice, and you who dwell in them, but woe to the earth and the sea, Woe to the government. Woe to the false teachers, preachers, because the devil has gone down to you who is filled with fury because he knows his time is short. And so we hear that over and over again when we hear three and a half. He's never going to be able to get his work done. But then what happens in verse 13? It says here, when the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman, pursuing the church, who had given birth to this male child. And so, here, we're giving birth still by telling the gospel. Every time we tell the gospel of Jesus Christ, we talk about a person being born again. Sound familiar? So really, Revelation is just kind of echoing the books of the New Testament. This is why we did a study of the Old and New Testament. Roger. So the woman here is the church? It's, 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 it's a double messianic message. It's the, it's the church, but it's also a reference to Mary. What, is there any significance to her being, what's 1260 days? That's three and a half, yep. That's three and a half years. So verse six. What's that, verse 6? Wasn't it verse 6, Roger? Yeah. The woman fled to the desert. Okay, what is that a parallel to? What, did, what happened to Mary and Joseph, and then after the wise men left, where did they go? Egypt. Egypt. How long were they there? Three and a half years. Okay. Okay. Light bulb on. <laughs> so, 
for three and a half years, it was about how long they stayed in Egypt before the angel said you come back. Isn't that weird? And so this is what I get excited about when scripture interprets scripture. Not according to the gospel, according to St. Kip. That just doesn't work well. It's got to be scripture, interpret scripture. And, uh, but then notice verse 14, it has a very interesting explanation. And the woman was given two wings of a great eagle. Remember what eagle means? That the woman's going to move swiftly with the gospel message of Christ. And so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the desert where she would be taken care of for a time, time, and time and a half out of the serpent's reach. And so Herod couldn't, couldn't I mean, he never was able to kill that child. He, but he killed hundreds of babies, didn't he? And, uh, but here we see this message of the gospel because it goes on. Then from his lips, the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torrent. So in other words, he was spewing out some pretty false teachings. He was angry. So this is where he utilizes the two beasts and himself to try to corrupt the world from the truth of God's word. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. So the Holy Spirit gave the church power to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ despite the attacks of Satan. And then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring, those who obey God's commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Who in the world is the rest? Christians. What's that? Christians. Christians. What did Jesus call them? And there are other sheep. So these are Jews and Gentiles. So we have this message of the gospel to both Jews and Gentiles alike. So a couple of things as we get into this is Satan attacks the woman, the church, and the wings are to say it's time to take off and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then we also have a reminder of the flood of Noah. And uh, by the way, you do, you, you do remember how many, what kind of lights did have on the flood, on the ark, right? Yeah. Flood lights. That's right. Just want to make sure. <laughs> and then in verse 16, we have the rescinding of the water. The story of Noah, 40 days, 40 nights, and it took quite a while for the water to reset. But then in verse 17, this is where, uh, from verses 13 to 17, if you were to describe those verses, this is the persecution of the church. That's the best way to explain verses 13 to 17. 
dragon persecutes the church. But there's something I want to do here for a second. Uh, the New Testament church seed is the word of God, though therefore we are his witnesses pointing people to Christ. And Satan's watching. And he's at the edge of everything. He's just constantly, he's just very angry. And uh, so what does it mean to be standing at the edge of the sea? Well, remember he's the prince of this world. And he is waiting for the right time to attack. But what I want to know is what signs precede Judgment Day? Does anybody know? Good. Let's find out together. John, oh, excuse me, Acts. Yes, Acts chapter 2, verse 19. What does that say? Acts chapter 2, 19. This is something that's supposed to happen before Judgment Day. chapter 21, verse 11 and verse 25. Luke 21, verse 11. Luke 21, verse 11. There will be great earthquakes, famines, and pestilence in various places, and fearful events and great signs from heaven. Is that happening now? Oh my goodness, yeah. Did you notice, according to written history, only in the last 10, 15 years has there been more problems with hurricanes, tsunamis, fires, famines. It's been the worst in history. And what did you just say recently in the last year? One of the worst hurricanes that hit, what is it, Georgia or Louisiana, and I think this was just complete devastation. I'm thinking, oh, wow. I don't know why people want to live that close to the ocean. <laughs> now, they're about, what, 25 miles inland? Less than, Less than that. But they've never had the damage that everybody else has in their neighborhood. But, uh, I just think, why do people want to live next to the water? And they like water, yeah. It's called a pool. They have a gated community. They have a pool in there. It's so nice. Especially when your one son says Shamu and is ready to jump into the water. Anyway, one of the interesting things is verse 25 of Luke 21. What does that say? Luke chapter 21, verse 25. What else is supposed to happen? Yeah, in other words, 
as, as Satan and Jesus are battling and the church battling with them, there are going to be some false things being said and it's going to affect the light of the gospel. And we're going to hear something today that might trouble some of you and I'm hoping to clear that up for you. And that is why I want to, uh, let's see here, probably a good time to do that now. The Beast of the Sea. As we mentioned before, according to church history, and according to the people 2,000 years ago, they have carried over the information that the Beast of the Sea, if I were to put up the map of Europe or the Mediterranean Sea, everything north of Africa and Asia and Greece and Spain and Italy, all that, that was called the Roman Empire. So the Beast of the Sea has always been in a reference to the government, corrupt government. Because, you know, Nero wanted to be called God. They had a couple of fruitcakes that were, uh, power went to their head. and Kind of interesting. And so here we see the beast of the land, which is the false teachers, false prophets, people that said they were Jewish, but were not. And so we have this external oppression of the political beast, as well as the false church. So as you read chapters 13, verses 1 to 10, this is the war that Satan has against the church. That's the best way to explain this part of Revelation. Satan is now going after the church and her seed. And you're also going to find out that Satan is controlling the beast, the two beasts. And then you're going to see something that's explained uh, and verse 7. Or is it verse 2? Excuse me, it's that fast. Woo. And I actually read this. Yeah, and I saw the beast coming out of the sea, and he had ten horns, seven heads with ten crowns and horns, and each head a blasphemous name. That's verse 1. And the beast saw resembled a leopard, but the feet like those of a bear, and the mouth like of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne great authority. Ooh. So Satan's in control here. And one of the heads seems to have a fatal wound. This is called another Antichrist. He did some pretty marvelous things that the church was watching saying, oh, could this be? No, this is the false Christ. You see, you remember when we did that class on the second week, the two sides? So we have the Antichrist and we have Jesus Christ. And they're trying to duplicate a false message. And so we have the leopard, the bear, and the lion. That's phrases used from the prophet Daniel. He used the same description. And what is that? Verses 1 and 2 is talking about Roman Empire. And John was actually experiencing the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, if you remember that happened. And the temple was destroyed. There has not been a sacrifice ever since. And this is why everybody's all excited about what's going on in Israel today. Oh, it's coming! It's coming! They're going to rebuild the temple! No, 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 no. Jesus' coming is not based upon those events. Jesus is, I'm coming, but he's going to come at a time that you don't know, and it's not necessarily going to be what we're seeing in history. 
what history is showing us is we're in the last days. It's that simple. Don't make it any more than that. And so uh, when he opens up his mouth in the coming verses of 1 and 2, this is called blasphemy. Anytime Satan opens up his mouth and spews water out, that's blasphemy. And then he talks about Babylon. Babylon, by the way, is a biblical definition according to the Hebrew and Greek language. Babylon affirms that this is wrong. So this is why I'm not making this up. This is the reference of Babylon is Rome. It's also the great harlot, which we're going to get into Jezebel pretty soon. And here, I believe, I did a little history for you. This was during the time of Nero. Nero put, made himself a statue, put it in the city of Jerusalem where the temple was destroyed, made people worship him. And uh, uh, he uh, also committed suicide. He was a nutcase. Nero was a nutcase. And so there's always been some crazy people. And uh, this is a, a repeated history. But the part that I really like is verses 11 to, to 18. Somebody read verses 11 to 18 of chapter 13. Uh, this is how uh, the second beast is pretty shifty. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb that spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast, so that <coughs> the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the beast, the image of the beast, to be slain. Also, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, <coughs> to be marked on the right hand or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is, the name of the beast or the number of its name. The call, this calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. For it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. All right. Did you notice the language at the very beginning? A lamb. This is a false Christ. It's not Jesus, the Lamb of God, but this one has two horns. Speaks like the dragon. That's, that's another hint. This is another antichrist. And remember, the horn is also a thing of power and authority. And the false lamb, false sign, even this lamb has the wound. And people are in awe about how much power this particular beast of the land had. And the mark of the head, this is, this is talk about philosophy. You're putting poison 
into the minds of God's people. And this is why this kind of this this kind of messed up my brother, oldest brother. He went to college for seven years and finally decided what he wanted to do for a living. But he purposely took philosophy courses. How many of you took philosophy courses in college? Okay. What is the main focus of philosophy? Proving the non-existence of God. 85% of the class. So because I was bored, we had a 15-month vacancy in Beloit, Wisconsin. So since I was the only minister available, we didn't have an ordained pastor except part-time, I decided to go to Western Michigan University in Janesville, Wisconsin, and took the philosophy course. Knowing that this was going to be a challenge for me, I decided to go into the professor's office on day one. I said, can I speak the truth? Because I knew what he was going to do because I heard about this professor. And four of the students in class were members of the church where I was serving. And about halfway through the semester, the professor refused to acknowledge my hand up because I kept going against philosophy and what he was trying to say. Because philosophy teaches you cannot use the five senses. No smell, sight, hearing. And uh, they're trying to take away. And so when he stopped answering questions for me, I passed out little pieces of paper to the other students so they could ask this professor. And that little sticker gave me a B plus instead of an A minus for the course because he said, I said you could challenge me, but not constantly. <laughs> and so I kind of ruined his class. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ had kept telling people, you know, this is what wisdom does. You see, the Greeks were proud of being wise and smart. And remember, we talked about one of the seven cities in Asia Minor that was the main library where medical students went to. We did, did the study of the seven churches. So this is, was a, this is what was going on here. And then the mark on the hand, that's slavery to someone or something. That's the definition in the Greek and Hebrew language. And uh, like Moses was a slave to Jesus. Now, not in a bad way. He was chosen by God to serve. Jesus himself says, I did not come here to be served, but to serve. So that's who we are and willing to be uh, subservient to Jesus Christ. But then we hear that number, that real nasty number. Six, six, six. When I looked up the Greek definition and the Hebrew definition of the word mark, you, this should be no surprise. It means a brand. You know how the, the brand of horses and cows. It's also a stamp. And it's also a tattoo. So those are the three definitions of the word mark. And it was very common in those days that they put a tattoo or they burn a number on slaves. And, uh, and the mark was the mark of the master, the owner. But who is our owner? 
Jesus Christ. Yes. And how did he mark us? Receive the sign upon your forehead and upon your heart to mark you as one as redeemed by Christ to crucify. That's what it means to be marked by Jesus. It's a reminder of our baptism. So the mark of the saints are spiritual. These marks are not visible. It's invisible. So this is where some of the Christian churches don't quite get this right. This is going to, yes, there are some countries in Europe where you, they put a number on and you can scan your hand, that little line. And this is how they could purchase some things in some of the countries. And this, they're trying to bring that here to our country. I don't think that's going to happen in our lifetime. We have what's called Discover Card. No. Uh, one of the interesting things is that, uh, that these marks are invisible. They're not meant, they were not to be taken literally. But the word 666 is a reminder that six, when was man created? Six days. Six days. And six is the anti-trinity, is one explanation. And uh, also 666 is a reference to a human being. And it does say it's going to be a man. The anti, the anti-Christ is going to be somebody. And we aren't going to know who that is until the day of the Lord comes. As soon as the Antichrist appears, that's when Jesus is going to appear at the same time. Not two separate events as some churches teach. Can, for assumption, can we assume that this is talking about what they're talking about now, and you said an invisible number, when they're talking about everybody would have a chip, but it would be embedded, invisible. Yeah, some people will have and that. It's the only way we can buy with the one world economy yeah. that's being proposed. And some Europe, some European churches, or churches, some European countries are doing just that. They have these little. Now, aren't we doing the same thing with our credit cards? In a sense, but it, but uh, that is uh, that is an interesting. When I did a study on the economy, uh, I uh, how many of you are familiar with uh, who is this guru? on investments. He's well known. Uh, he actually has a television show now. Ramsey, David Ramsey, yes. Don't, how many of you worry about your credit score? Don't. Dave Ramsey was saying the, the idea is to have no debt by the time you turn 50. Pay off your house, pay off your car, pay off everything. And what happens to your credit score when you don't use it? You know what his credit score is? Zero. Because he doesn't use credit cards, because he's disciplined himself to pay cash. And both Sue's parents and my parents raised us, if you ain't got the money, don't get it. And we, we taught the boys, if you take out a loan, you pay for it 30 days later. So whatever you buy, when that bill comes in next month, don't pay interest on it. And so the world has convinced us you gotta, you know, they're still doing that on commercials. What's your credit score? I don't couldn't care less. And my credit score is coming down because I'm not, my house is paid for, my car is paid for. I can't figure out why I'm 40, I'm 40 points away from perfect score. What is it, 800 or 850? 
860. Is it 860 and he raised it? And so that's why I love it when I go into a car dealer is that I said, I'm just a poor preacher. And I don't get paid much because I'm retired. And so they said, well, what you see on the sticker price, that's the price. Don't do that. Finagle. Then I take out my other car, ARP. They automatically take 500 bucks off of many of the automotive places. Did you know that? How many of you are due to buy a car? Make sure you pull every single card out of your wallet because it helps. And also tell them, you know, well, my income, I'm on a, a limited income, which is true. Social Security and pension, but they don't know what my grand total is. But then I'm also ready, so when they do my financial package, I'll say, never give a car dealer how much money you want to put down. It's the last thing you tell them. Because just keep working on bringing that price down, and that's called business. Sue calls it annoying. She walks away because I will work. I will work on that salesman for two and a half hours. She just walks away because she knows, you know. And the last time I had five thousand dollars written off, brand new car. And then he says, "Well, we have a package for you, Pastor. It's one and a half percent out of Texas, and we get this loan for you three years." And I said, "No, I'm paying for it all at once." So I wrote a check to. And so he just kind of went, and uh, by the way, I learned that from a car dealer who was a member of my church. He says, Pastor, I, I'll get in trouble for this, but go, go, go right down the line, but don't ever tell him the grand total amount. And I, we didn't have a trade, and I sold it to my son for a buck. That was kind of nice. It only lasted less than a year, did it? <laughs> That's why I gave it to you for a while. <laughs> Also, I love this part, the lamb, the song, verse 14, the lamb, this is a chapter of comfort and blessings. This is the part that I enjoyed, sweet, sweet, sweet chapter. Then I looked, and there before me was Mount Zion, and with him the 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on his forehead. And I heard the sound from heaven like a roar of rushing waters. Did you hear the parallel? Satan used rushing waters. God used, see the two teams? And like a peal of thunder, the sound I heard was like that of a, uh, of a Baptist, no, of a harpist, playing their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures. Remember the four living, the four gospels? And the elders. No one can learn the song except the 144,000. The 144,000 is who? The Old Testament church, 12 tribes. New Testament church, 12 apostles. And who multiplies? Jesus. That's where the X comes in. That's the Greek letter X. Thousand means complete. And these are those who did not defile themselves with the woman, for they kept themselves pure. Now, the woman is in reference to Jezebel. And we'll talk about that next week. And they follow the lamb wherever he goes. They were purchased from among men and offered as first fruits to God and the lamb. 
No lie was found in their mouths, and they are blameless. So who is he talking about? The people on earth or the people in heaven? What's it say? Where is Mount Zion? Heaven. He's talking about the 144,000 in heaven. The Old and New Testament followers of the Messiah, the Lamb of God that took away the sins of the world. And so we see this beautiful picture. And notice the terminology. Purchased. Redeemed. That's why Jesus is called the Redeemer. In verse 3. And he was purchased from the earth to go to heaven. The Mount Zion is the heavenly Jerusalem. And uh, we have the saints who are clean. So in heaven they have nothing evil coming out of their mouth. And these are the ones that completed the mission of telling people about Jesus. So notice, it's, if you saw this in the Greek language, this is a, has already happened. These people have already witnessed the faith, you know, the prophets, the evangelists, the apostles, the early Christian church. And so uh, we see this beautiful, beautiful picture. Then verse 6, somebody read that. Of chapter 14. Then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. So this is 6 saying, hey, we still have a mission to go on. It's not over yet. We still got to tell people about Jesus. So that's what verse 6 is talking about. Keep telling the world. But what's the biggest thing? And verse 7 is the second message, which is the same message as the Old and New Testament. Repent and believe. Because in verse 7, he said to a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and the springs of water. So here we have this wonderful picture of uh, the church and uh, this mission. And then a second angel followed and said, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. So already, there's that cycle, judgment day. So here already John is giving a review of what you talked about already up to this point. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great, which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of their adulteresses. And a third angel followed and said in a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives the mark on his forehead or on his hand, he too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured out full strength into the cup of wrath. So he's talking about the unbelievers here. So in verse 13, we heard about the verse of comfort. Then I heard the voice of heaven saying, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labors, for their deeds will follow them. And so it's another reference to comfort. And so we have this comfort, this blessing. And what is this blessing called? Rest. He who follows me, I will give you rest. 
Psalms 118, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's so cool. And then, if you look at verse 14, now we see the explanation of the harvest of the earth. It's judgment day. And I looked, and there before me was a white cloud, and seated on the cloud was one like the Son of Man, with a crown of gold on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Then another angel came out of the temple and called in a loud voice to him who was sitting in the cloud, Take your sickle and reap because the time is the reap has come for the harvest, but the earth is ripe. In other words, it's ready. So he who was seated on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was harvested. So already, again, here's a, uh, another explanation of Judgment Day, another cycle, and there are seven times it talks about Judgment Day in the book of Revelation. Right smack in the middle. And then in the closing, verse 17 and following, another angel came out of the temple, and two had a, a sickle. Still another angel had a charge of the fire came from the altar and called in a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle. Take your sickle and gather the clusters of grapes with the earth vine, because its grapes are ripe. The angel swung his sickle on the earth, gathered its grapes, and threw them into the great winepress of God's wrath. They were trampled in the winepress outside the city, and blood flowed out of the press, rising as high as the horse's bridles for a distance of 1,600 stadia. They're talking about the unbelievers. This is talking about unbelievers. They're going to be destroyed. Plain and simple. And it's pretty sad. So this white cloud that we heard of, we know the Son of Man, this is uh, in reference to Christ. Verses 14 to 16 is Judgment Day because it's called the Harvest. By the way, a sharp sickle. Uh, which country has a sickle on their flag? Huh? Yeah. It's gone to their head. They think they're the victorious one. That's why I showed you a picture of Stalin inside that glass coffin. They have his body in a vacuum coffin thinking that he's going to come up and be the ruler of the world. And the sickle is a symbol of victory. The sickle is a symbol of victory. But Satan's not carrying it. Jesus and his angels is carrying it. And so, in other words, verse 18, when it says it's ripe, that means it's time. It's time. And these are people that worship the beast. The Antichrist. And then, verse 20. As Jesus gathers his sheep, he's also gathering the goats. And so this message is not a pretty one for the unbeliever. But it's kind of interesting. Uh, uh, Genesis 3.15, what does that say? Genesis 3.15. Watch closely. I will put empathy between her seed and his seed. I will crush his head and he shall bruise his heel. 
This is the explanation of what Jesus did at the cross. This is the first gospel message given in the book of the Bible, Genesis 3.15, where Jesus tells Adam and Eve, I will crush that serpent. And so we have this beautiful message. Um, oh, somebody asked me, what, this, what is this 1,600 furlongs? It, these are 40 squares. In other words, the four corners of the earth. That's what it's saying. They were trampled and wide prisons outside the city. The blood flowed out of the press, raising as high as the horse's bridle the distance of 1,600 stadia. In other words, this, this wrath of God upon the entire world. So that's called 40 square. That's where 1,600 comes from. It's like the four corners of the earth. Same reference, just another way that John likes to confuse us. <laughs> so, we only have eight minutes left, so I do want to give you an introduction of what's going to happen next week. Next week, we're going to talk about the bulls, so you will have to bring this back next week because I forgot to split it when I did the study. And so, uh, but we will talk about the introduction now because we have a little bit of time left. Are there any questions up to this point? Was this understandable? Sir? So I'm having trouble wrapping my head around the last few chapters. These, are these like representations of things that are more understandable by like, you know, the human population? Like if I saw a dragon coming out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, like any one of us are probably going to be freaking out a little bit. Exactly. Know? Or is it like a representation of a person that you know it, that I may find comforting or yeah. understandable and relatable to that's you know doing some of this. It's just not actually a dragon yeah. that actually has been it, or is yeah. it actually stuff like that? Where it's actually a represent. It's a picture language. The beasts are the governments, and if you were to be there in Rome, there are ten hills, <coughs> which is kind of interesting. So that's why the people of John's day knew exactly who he was talking about. He talked about Rome. That was the, that was the nasty uh, beast of the sea. And uh, so this is a picture language uh, of those people's days, and it still is for us today. So we're not literally going to see a dragon. We are going to dragon it is anything that is evil. A beast is evil. Serpent is evil. These are all references, picture languages describing <coughs> corrupt government, corrupt religion. But we may not actually know that. Like, we may get tricked enough to think that this is the right thing. Or exactly. And this is why God tells us, don't busy yourself watching what's going on. And I already got phone calls this week. Well, Pastor, what do you think about Israel? Uh, here we go again. That's all it is. It's just a repeat. Because this cycle is going to keep happening until the Lord comes. We're going to have, we're going to have corrupt governments. Corrupt governments have been with us forever. And so Revelation is just a neat way of giving you a picture language. And like I said, we're kids. I taught this class to sixth graders. They got it. And because they like the picture language. And so you got to think like a Greek. Think like a Jew, Hebrew. And think like a kid. 
And these are all visuals that helps us to understand the culture of that day, what was happening, and what's going on today. I mean, look at our own government. Right now, the Republicans can't get their act together. They're all inner fighting. I'm like, what does the Bible say? The people divided will not stand. So I'm saying, when is it, what is this government to get their act together and stop fighting? Let's just get to work and get this done. So this is why it's kind of interesting when somebody says, well, pastor, are you voting Republican or Democrat? I said, neither one. I'm voting for the Lord to come. <laughs> so it's my goal. Any other questions? It's a good, good question. All right, just an introduction. Uh, chapters 5, uh, 15, verses 1 to 8, this is the introduction of the seven bowls, the seven plagues, similar to Moses. And uh, this is the, the third of seven visions, seven things like the seven seals, the seven trumpets. Now, this time, it's going to get uglier. Because every time a cycle happens, it's going to get worse. We've got more information, but not for us. We're still going to have lots of Bible verses of comfort. But we have the introduction of the seven plagues in verses 1 to 8. And the, the last warning is going to be Jesus' coming. And uh, that'll be happening. And there's going to be an explanation in verse 12. Uh, what is that? There is no verse 12 of chapter 15, so I don't know why I wrote that. Oh, verse 2. Now I know why I wrote it. And I saw, looked at the sea of glass mixed with fire and standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast and the image over the number of the name. They held harps given them by God and sang the song of Moses, servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the ages, who will, be, who will not fear you, O Lord, and bring glory to your name, for you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for you righteous acts have been made. He's talking about the people in heaven. That's why it's called clear. This is why... It's clear. The glassy sea. This is the description of heaven. No sin. No sorrow. No grief. And then you're going to hear about the battlefield. Armageddon. We're going to get into that a little bit later. But then we're still going to be referred to as more than conquerors. Verse 3, as I just read, that's the Song of Moses. It's called the hymn of the Lamb. Verses, yes, verses, where did it go? Yes, verses three through four. It's called the hymn of the Lamb, or Moses' song. And then, verse four, if you heard that, you alone are holy, righteous. We are done. We are all made righteous by the blood of the Lamb of Christ. We receive the gift of the Holy Spirit at our baptism and the hearing of God's word. And then we have this victory song in heaven, not on earth. On earth is the wrath of God, and heaven is the blessing. And verses 5 to 8 talks about the tabernacle, and uh, that's the tent. 
pepper poses. You put up a tent to go into. That's called the meeting place. The tabernacle is also a reference to the meeting place. The assembly hall. But it's the heavenly place, not earthly. And then we'll get into the description of the seven angels with the seven white linens. These are holy angels. These are angels from heaven to carry out God's message of punishment and wrath upon the unbelievers. So, if you notice, mine ends right here, so that's why I can't go any farther, because I knew this would take an hour just to get up to this point. Was this understandable to y'all? To live as Christ, to die as gain. That's basically the message of what we just got through on chapters 12, 13, and 14, a little bit of 15. And, uh, but then next week, we're going to get into the main message, repent. This is why we like to do that regularly. Any questions? Did I lose anybody? Was this a little bit tougher? But did you see the, the sections of the Bible splattered with comfort? So I love this. I just love this. All right, next week we'll get into the bull. Yes, ma'am. Um, I have a question on cycles. Cycles, yes. Oh yeah. That's another. Yep. Hamas, Iran, Iraq, North Korea, Russia, China. It's just a. The Lord's coming. My boy. Good. So, anyway, I have got so much energy, I don't know what to do with it. So, an opportunity to stand up. This is the first time in two weeks I've been, this is good. And uh, also uh, keeping your prayers, family, as they return back to Florida. You promised you'd be back sometime after Christmas, right? Okay. And uh, uh, it's good to have the family here. Thanks for your prayers, your cards, and uh, birthday greetings. It's good to be 69. And I did call the funeral director and I said, uh, you know, pray that I make it to 70 because that'll look a lot better on my stone than 69. So, <laughs> but uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, it's just been a tremendous ride. And so my next chemo is going to be a week from tomorrow. And so we just pray and hope that'll be a little bit less of a knocking me down because uh, I just don't like sitting still. Can I tell the jokes better than Pastor Eric does? <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we have a little taste again about the book of comfort and the verses that are just filled with joy and victory only through your Son, Jesus Christ, the blood of the Lamb. And we just pray, Lord, that we could have the strength to warn people of the wrath that's to come. And it is coming. And we see it all around us. And we just pray, Lord, that you remind us 
and our days are limited. We don't know what that day is going to be when you come, but boy, when you come, Lord, help us to look up and look forward to the glory that is ours through your Son, Jesus Christ, and all God's people say, Amen. Amen.